Hey, folks, I'm Tom. Keith Jones here. Favorite time of year. It's football season. That total leather. Total leather. Dunlap Champions Club is in play. Literally seven home games on the schedule, and they've got some great packages available. You may be aware, if you've not been in the Dunlap Champions Club yet, try a three-game ticket package. You can get Virginia Tech, Clemson, or Florida, and then two of the four remaining home games on the schedule. But I go back to your most important point. If you've not ever been Toe meets there. leather? Oh, no, that was your point. If you've not ever been there, take a tour. Go look at it. Go visit it. If you go, you'll want to be there. Comes with shade, air conditioning. That comes in play during uh, during the hot games. Although, I'm going to be honest. There's going to be so much excitement with the Taggart era. You may not want to go inside because you're going to miss about 28 plays if you walk inside for but five But you'll minutes. be sitting in a chair that's got a back and an armrest and a cup holder. Dunlap Champions Club. Uh, of course, all your food and non-alcoholic beverages are, are baked into the price. Uh, it's good food. It's a great experience. It's a great time. Get on board. The number to call is 644-1830. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. I would say good day. I'm not sure that's the proper expression, though. Another KJ. day. Another, another day. day. It is another day. It's another Wednesday. How are you since last I saw you in the dark of night? Uh, well, I guess it was the dark of early morning, circa 2 a.m. or so after. I've uh, gone from very disappointed to just disappointed. Hopefully, by the time Saturday rolls around, I'll be back to neutral. Well, so the good news on a short week is that it's two fewer days for everybody to wait to try and get a bad taste out of the mouth. Now that you've processed it, I'll, I'll be honest, I have not gone back and, and watched the game. I just haven't had time to sit down and do it, uh, which is of note because when you stand on the sideline like I do for the games, uh, while you see things, there's also a lot that you miss. You're up in the booth. Uh, I know we, we dissected this the other night in our Front Row Knowles First Look Edition, which will uh, come your way each and every Sunday at 8 a.m. and then again on Monday evenings as the season rolls on and we get back to playing Saturday games. What now that you have caught your breath or taken a deep breath still is sticking in your craw? Probably a lot. Well, two two things. Number one, um, it wasn't as evident during the game, although it was talked very little during uh, the week leading up to the ball game. But it was a known commodity. What am I talking about? The ability for Virginia Tech to time what, what's called the stemming of their defensive line. In other words, their, their defensive uh, front four would line up in certain gaps, certain shoulders. <coughs> Pardon me. And then just prior to the snap, they would shift to the right or the left. And they would shift enough that technically that could change your blocking assignment. And if you go back and look at a lot of the running plays, and of course FSU had, what, 35, 36, either negative or loss plays of the 63 that they ran it was one guy usually in the offensive backfield causing a problem because one guy got missed well you you defeat the stem by changing your quarterback's cadence that's not a hard thing to change if you're going on first sound you go up and you tell everybody we're going on second sound you make the first sound they stem you give the offensive line a chance to make a call and then you go on second sound it's not quite that simplistic but that's an easily correctable thing that's the first thing that jumped out should at that have been corrected by deandre that, does that need to be corrected that's by, corrected the staff? by the staff which is where i'm going on the second part uh, florida state staff was just not offensive staff was not prepared for this game they evidently did not communicate well. They certainly didn't communicate well with the players because you can't run a hurry-up offense when you've got 11 guys staring at the sideline for eight seconds. So, and, and, and candidly, that's easily correctable. You know, you sit down as a staff and say, all right, you shut up and quit talking. I'm going to make the call. You only talk to me if it's important. I mean, we, to we, be fair, we can correct that. To be fair, and I'm going to use a term Jimbo used to use, which was rat trap. You know, and when the, the premise is, and we all know it, we lived it for eight years, when pressure comes, you fall back into your bad habits. So if everything went swimmingly during the scrimmages and during all of fall camp, did the coaches just have a false sense of security that everybody was dialed in and then the game starts and all of a sudden guys are standing there because they're not sure what to do? And, because pressure and, hit. I'm, and did the guys not get to their prearranged? I mean, how much of this was because they had to wait for someone to shift from the right to the left? Because we saw some of that. So while I'm I'm saying it's easily correctable, and I'm pointing my biggest finger at the staff, because as the adults, they can get their act together and get this corrected. There probably and most likely was some player 
uh, miscommunication in that. But again, I go back and you made the comment because we're not there during the scrimmages. All we can do is listen to what is said. Both the staff and the players said that in the controlled scrimmage and in the real scrimmage, the two scrimmages during fall camp, that the offense didn't show any problems with getting to the line and getting the play called and getting the play off. Well, that's exactly what we saw, particularly in the first half of the game uh, against Virginia Tech. So there, there was a disconnect somewhere. And it's a short week to try and get it worked out. If anything, that game tape will get everybody's attention and and hopefully get people properly focused. I think there were, uh, you know, that's one area to look. I do think if you go bigger picture macro, and I don't know if we talked about this the other night uh, in too much detail, but I remember distinctly the 2012 season when Florida State won the ACC championship and Jimbo made a, which was the first one they won under Jimbo, and he made a big deal about it. And everybody scoffed because in light of that year when Florida State lost to NC State in Florida, nobody cared about a championship and said, what's the big deal? And Jimbo kept stressing, they have to believe they can do this. This is a big deal. And we still scoff some more. And then 2013 happened. So that's a long way of me saying, if you look back at what these players have experienced during their Florida State careers, it hasn't been championships. There's been an Orange Bowl championship in there. But generally speaking, it's been mediocre play, literally 500 play against ACC foes. And so I think when the pressure comes, I think we did see the other night that some bad habits come back. Or And and, and again, and I don't want to go all Jimbo, he would say it comes from a good place. Guys are trying to make a play, but in trying to make a play, you're not doing what you're assigned to role is on a particular play which makes things worse i I probably will lose some of our listeners because i'm gonna go back i'm gonna go back being the old guy but i i had a you play that role well i do don't i i play i I, uh was uh, texting back and forth with some old friends of mine after the game and i made this analogy see if it makes sense in 1979 we went undefeated 11 and 0 and we got our first new year's day bowl our bid to the orange bowl and we went to the orange bowl and we played Oklahoma, and, and the stage was too big. It was just too big. We weren't ready. The coaching staff wasn't ready. Our fans were not even ready. It was just too big. We got beat 24-7. to seven. Actually, we were ahead 7 to nothing in that ball game because we blocked a punt. And, and we lose that ball game, and we all left there going, you know, we still have work to do. We're, we, we, we went undefeated, and we're, we're, we're in the top five, but we're not there yet. Well, we turned that right back around in 1980, and the stage wasn't too big. We beat Pittsburgh. We beat Nebraska. We almost beat Oklahoma. Yeah, we lost the game, but that was a great football game, uh, losing at 18-17. So it's, it's part of the growth process, which goes back to exactly to your point, where as, as a unit, everybody, players, coaches, and fans, we, we bought into the hype, which was great. Everybody felt good over the summer. We felt good after the spring game. We felt good with the reports coming back from fall camp. But we're not ready yet. We're not there. We're making progress. And let's not forget, we wouldn't feel this way if we had lost to Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State. But we don't know how good Virginia Tech might be. Virginia Tech might very well be either in that league or right below that league. And so you put all that together, there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic, but we can't lose sight of the things that need to be corrected and they have to be corrected. My takeaway is, much of the issues the other night were self-inflicted. Now, I want to be fair. I think across the fan base, across the media scape that covers FSU, and I, I won't say across the coaching staff because I don't, I don't want to go there on that, but I think from media and fan standpoint, we, we did a disservice by not recognizing that Bud Foster is a pretty good coach. You give him 11 guys, and he's going to coach them up and do something. And so we do need to tip our cap there no, to they, Bud Foster. They, they got talent. I mean, you, yeah. you look at DeAndre's three interceptions. That interception on that post, that was a highlight reel play by a freshman safety. I mean, that was athletic. That was position. That was technique. I mean, that he threw that ball where you would want him to throw it 99 times out of 100, which means the wide receiver can't get to it or catches it. In this case, the safety made up the ground and made the interception. The other interception was was batted at the line of scrimmage. You can't always put that on the quarterback. You know, arm slot, go side, you know, throw it over the top, go to the side, that type of thing. So, so we have to give Virginia Tech some credit for being well-prepared on defense and, and executing I'm just, their defense. I'm just glad that all those guys are all right because they were dropping like flies. So this is going to be something that Florida State's going to see. Just uh, had to get that in there, did you? Well, 
let's so let's talk about this because it was the 2014 season when Florida State was at NC State and Dave Dorn came out and basically ripped Jimbo after the game and accused him of intentionally having all his guys dropped to, to slow down. It turned out some of those guys were actually hurt. Uh, they kissed and made up or whatever they did. Well, this is you're you're going to see this. I mean, if you go back and look at it. I mean, the guys are looking at the sideline, and when they see a signal to fall down, they're falling down as if they're hurt. So, how do you, you know, how do you deal with that? This won't happen this year. But my proposal is we treat it like basketball and soccer. If the guy's behind the play and the team has an advantage, just let the play keep going. Let them snap the ball again and keep moving forward. That'll that'll in a hurry get teams to stop faking the injuries behind the line of scrimmage. No, I mean it's it's within the context of the rules. I don't know how you're ever going to police it, and as much as we hate it, it's. It's there for the taking. Uh, and, and I'm going to be um, pragmatic, and I'm going to say that that's not what happened because that's outside the spirit of college football, and I'm going to leave it at that. You didn't see the highlight clips then is what you're saying. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm sticking my head in the sand. I'm playing, I'll, I'll, I'm playing I'll ostrich. I'm okay. playing ostrich. So let, let's go back. The offensive line you know, is the first place that everybody points. And clearly this is not uh, anything more than an average offensive line at best as assembled but it's also not the worst out of 130 and i think it's easy to just point at the offensive line for everything the receivers were terrible at blocking this game and so we question the play call and say why this i guess my bigger point here keith is i don't like to get into second guessing play calling for a couple of reasons number one we're not there when they game plan and so they look at tape and say, this is what Virginia Tech does when you have this formation. So if they line up in, in this formation and Virginia Tech does something different, maybe that defeats the play, and we don't know that. So it's easy to say, well, don't call a play that doesn't work, you know, which is kind of what fans regress to. Um, and the other thing is, if you call a play and it's not executed, i.e. the receivers don't block, or to your point, the count's not delayed, or there's a misstep here, you know the cam Akers at quarterback play yeah probably not the best time to call it's the first time we've seen it but if they end up scoring a touchdown out of that because they don't fumble it'd be a great call then then, yeah so i don't like to 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 get into that i i I do think uh, and willie talked about this a little you got to win the one-on-one battles and that's not just on the offensive line if a receiver's supposed to block you got to block here's the one thing though we know that nyquan murray and dj can't block now, we don't know why they can't block. We don't know if it's because they're physically unable or because they're mentally unwilling. But we know that those two people can't block. Don't throw the damn bubble screen expecting either of those two people to block. That's easily correctable. And that would go to something Willie's been lauded for, which is playing to the strengths of his team. Now, again, we can, we can do this devil's advocate thing. Uh, you know that from past years. Maybe in maybe in spring and in, in camp they've made those blocks. My phone number is well known. <laughs> call me, <laughs> Walt, Willie, DK. Give me a call. I'll share that wisdom with you. Or you can just share it for free here on the airwaves as you just did. Anything else? Um, again, the manage, management of expectations. I, more than anybody, and I'm normally not this way. You even accused me of this a couple of times in the weeks leading up. I bought into the, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid. I bought into it. I wasn't there to see all the practices. I wasn't there to see the scrimmage. So I believed and probably embellished what I was hearing coming back. It's time to dial back those expectations. This is not a 10-win team. You know, I, I liked uh, the comment that I heard a couple of people make. Well, the minimum requirement is seven wins because we're going to make that bowl and we want to continue that consecutive bowl streak. So if we start instead of a 10 well, team need, you working need, backwards. You only need six to get there well, and then you win the bowl I'm game. I'm saying the seventh right? In ter- and also in terms of the winning seasons. Yeah. So let's dial back the expectations a little bit and let's start moving forward instead of being disappointed when good things happen. Well, I hate to be, you know, process results guy here, but – I hear all this conversation about if you play like that against Clemson and Miami. And, well, well, yeah, but we're not playing Clemson and Miami this week. How about we just clean up what we saw and go out and beat Samford and then worry about the next week and after again, that? And again, I'm talking about fans and, and I media, not the players and how they think of it. I'm just saying I, for one, uh, am going to revert back to being a little more skeptical as opposed to being optimistic. That way I won't have my heart pulled out of my chest and stomped on like I did Saturday or uh, Monday night. Yeah, well, one thing that would help, we're in this era where Florida State's going to play these big games. This one's 
it's not a direct payday in that it's not a game in the Chick-fil-A Bowl in Atlanta. But the reality is FSU has been asked to do more than its share of carrying the TV ratings for the ACC network. So they play in these Monday night games all the time. That's not going away. I, I don't know where the, this is in, in uh, conversation, but they have had conversation about adding an extra bye week to the season. I'm just ready for them to go ahead and get there. What that would do is, uh, you know, if you if you start the season a week earlier, you could play Samford the week prior, then play Virginia Tech, and then have this week off instead of playing on five days' notice. So at some point, hopefully that's coming. And, and I and I think that it will. That's a decision that would be pretty easy to implement, I, th- I think. I think. I guess my biggest takeaway upon 48 hours, however long it's been, KJ, is that most of what I saw the other night, I think, is fixable. Very correctable. And if you if you want to subscribe to the theory that it was not the best game plan or the best play calls, uh, there were some big chunk plays in there that show the athleticism that exists for Florida State against a good Bud Foster defense, whether it's Cam Akers, whether it's uh, Kalen LeBourne, whether it's Terry making a catch. Uh, you know, Patrick, it's not a chunk play per se, but he ran over some guys and looked Greg Jones-esque. So, and those were guys that, you know, had to out-athlete the defender in front of them to make those plays. So it is good that that happened because if you couple that with, okay, now we've out-schemed the other team, there are going to be some big plays there. And if, uh, in a simplistic way, if, if that stemming that the defensive line did was the culprit as to why Florida State's offensive line was a little bit confused, then you can address that and fix that. Now, that doesn't mean they automatically become the best offensive line in the United States, but that means instead of having 35 or 36 negative or, or worse plays, you, that goes to 15 or, or 12. Well, you, you change 20 plays, the result of 20 plays in that ballgame, and I don't know that Florida State wins the ball game, but certainly it would have been a much closer ball game. You could change the result to fewer than that, probably, if you're talking about Gavin dropping a touchdown or or Nooney being in and not getting credit for a touchdown, make a field goal, make it more interesting. Well, and the Nooney I, play, I do say, uh, go ahead. The Nooney play also speaks to this offensive staff maybe not being together for long because somebody in the booth has got to be, they're allowed to have a TV in the booth. Somebody in the booth has got to be charged with immediately making a decision to hold something, to appeal something, to challenge, whatever. And and so I think there was some communication issues there, whatever decision they would have so, or so, not made. So two things. Uh, one, I was on the field. I still haven't looked at that replay. I know that William Floyd on the radio network was concerned that the ball had come out and thought, don't review it because it might be ruled a fumble. Uh, secondly, and credit Jeff Cameron for this one, I have not taken the time to look it up, but the ACC, or not just the ACC, because the next play was a pre-snap penalty, not a uh, you know not post-snap, they can continue the review. Absolutely. So they had a minute and a half to review that and go ahead and say, you know what, that was a touchdown. It so w- it was reviewed. Now whether they will admit it or not, or whether we know what the outcome, but it was reviewed. Again, I haven't seen the replay. You were up in the booth. No. Was it a touchdown? Uh, I I don't think I I think it could have been called a touchdown. The issue was was his was his shin down or not, or was it on on the player? So it was one of those plays where it goes with what the initial call was. Probably if they called it a touchdown, Probably. the call would have stood. Because, Probably. I'm just suggesting if they had 90 seconds to look at that, then we don't need to. Dis- I mean, your your point is valid. Florida State needs to have a plan for when plays need to be reviewed, especially when you're running a tempo offense, to make sure that you. You request a review, call a timeout, whatever. But that said, if there was 90 seconds there during whatever the time was to march off the five yards, yeah. they could have got now, that right. Now, to also be fair, because we have seen this in practice. Man, Florida, we don't even need Tim today. We can just, I Florida mean. Florida State has a call anytime they have a big play. Not a big play in the red zone, but anytime they have a big play, 15, 20, 25 yards. They have a call where they immediately sprint to the line of scrimmage and they, they know what play they're running because they want to catch the defense with their heels back. Well, that's exactly what they did. Now, unfortunately, they got the procedure call, moved them from the one-yard line or the half-yard line back five yards. But what was done was exactly what the did kids you notice, were coached to did do. Did you notice that was the one time, one chunk play FSU hit where Virginia Tech didn't have a defender go down with an injury? Because they didn't want the play reviewed. Possibly. Every other chunk play, a guy fell down. That play, everybody's back up in the line of scrimmage ready to play defense. 
Keith doesn't want to get into conspiracy theories. I'm not sure why, because you're at that age where everything in your life is a conspiracy I'm theory trying, now. I'm, I'm trying to remake myself. Leave me alone. You And you've done a good job the last couple of weeks. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us next. He was at practice this morning. Coach Taggart uh, had his teleconference, so we'll catch up on We don't uh, get the brag on what we did last week? What did we do last week? Where, where did we make an appearance? At the Tallahassee Seminole Club? Yeah. At Township? Yeah. Across the street from Madison Social? Yeah. It, the line was so long to get in as they were celebrating their birthday party that I just took a rain check. That and I had my youngin with me, so I really had no business going to Madso at that point. But uh, I encourage you to do so on a regular basis. Thank you. All right. We'll come back with Tim right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. I don't know if I should talk or we should just cry this out together. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, I was really hoping that we were not going to have to change your walk-up music between weeks one and two. But and we're really hoping we get to change it next week. <laughs> well, no, no, now we're... Well, yeah, that, what, what do we do with that? They win, we change it again? I hope. Or, I, I, hope. I don't know. I forget how we do that. Tim, how are you? I don't know. I, I wouldn't mess with it. Yeah, so that means we're going to have to listen to that for 11 as straight a, weeks. As a memory, so we never forget the bad feelings. <laughs> Tim, make us, fe- make us feel better. What you got? Well, Sanford's coming to town on Saturday, and Woo-hoo! the game's in what, like two or three days? It's, it's, it's coming right up. Yeah, so but didn't they score 65 points last weekend or something? Uh, 66, I think, actually. Jeez. Hey, yeah, the- well... The team was back at it today. Uh, Willie and uh, some of the staff and players met the media, and then uh, Coach Taggart was on his ACC media call. Uh, anything noteworthy, newsworthy coming out of that today? Uh, I don't know that there was anything super, super newsworthy. Just you know, a little bit of dissection from uh, from what went wrong uh, against Virginia Tech, and then a little bit more. You know, looking looking ahead. Uh, you know, a lot of talk about the short week. You know, Florida State essentially has two days of practice. Uh, this week between uh, Wednesday morning and Thursday morning, and then walk through on Friday. So uh, you know you're, you're you're a team that has a truncated practice schedule, and then you're going up against a team in Stanford. I know they're from the FCS, but they've played their game on Thursday of last week, so they'll have had ten days to prepare. While Florida State will have had uh, essentially four. So I'm uh, not trying to make you nervous or anything, but uh, well, you're you know, doing they don't it. Really have time to <laughs> they don't really have time to lick their wounds. They got to lock in pretty quick. Well watching any portion of the game tape from the other night should get them locked in pretty quick, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think so for sure. And, uh, and you know, it seemed to me that, uh, you know, the attitudes I think were, were as good as, uh, as you could expect after a game like that. And I thought the players, um, you know, particularly after the game, I was pretty impressed um, at the way that, that they handled themselves and answered questions. And, you know, that Alec Everly in particular was, uh, was, was very candid when he said, look, you know, you all know as much as I do that this team didn't handle it very well when things went against us last year. Um, and so, you know, the key now is, you know, we, we said multiple times that we, we refuse to let that happen. We refuse to, to break apart and we refuse to, to let our heads hang low and that sort of thing and to have a repeat of last year. And so uh, it's definitely saying all the right things. Now it's just a matter of uh, going out and backing that up. Well, and that's what Keith and I talked about bigger picture in the, in the first segment is I, you know, just expounding upon that, Tim, these are guys who have not experienced success at the highest level because they were on Florida State's team last year. Even the year prior, there were some losses in there. So to me, it feels like a team that's uh, maybe pressing is the word, but when things go off the rails, there becomes a little bit of trying too hard to make it right as compared to trying to do what your assignment is. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and I think there is something to be said for the idea of and it's kind of a a soft factor sort of thing, but you know, over, you know, a lot of times I think this group, you know, maybe has to learn how to win a little bit uh, and, and learn the right way. I mean, you know, it's, it's so hard to break out of a, you know, a bad culture or a bad mindset or way of doing things. 
uh, once that becomes ingrained. And I think we all you know can kind of agree that that, that was a problem last year. I mean, keep keep in mind the the only people uh, who who were on Florida State's last ACC championship team in 2014, those guys are all fifth year seniors now. It's it's been a while since since Florida State's won at the highest level. But for guys like us, it doesn't seem that long ago. But for players, and you particularly the you know, sophomores, juniors, even your, you know, your, some of your seniors from, from 2015, um, you know, they, I think they need to, they need to kind of learn how to do that. And, um, and, and, you know, hopefully, you know, get on, um, get on a nice streak here. I think there's three winnable games coming up and start getting some good vibes. It's almost like a, almost like a basketball player, right? You know, like you just got to see it go in the hoop once or twice. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're good. I think you know, for Florida State, they, they need to see it look right. They need to see somebody cross the goal line, so to speak. Um, and, and then kind of build on it from there. Tim, we don't like talking about it because it seems like an excuse, but you know the bottom line is that, that Willie uh, Taggart and Walt Bell have only known each other for nine months. They had never met before Taggart got word to Bell to find out if he was interested in maybe coming to Florida State. So fast forward to Monday night. You know whether they communicated well or not. It was obvious that the staff was not getting the signals in clean, or the players were not getting the the calls clean, and they were not running the Gulf Coast offenses. We've come to be led to believe that they can. Did Coach Taggart address any of that? Do you have any personal feelings about that? Uh, Coach Bell actually was asked about it uh, this morning, and, and he was asked specifically about the communication uh, between he and, and Willie Taggart and the sideline. And, and you know, he said it was good. Uh, in terms of, I think, from a practical standpoint of, of getting everything in the way they wanted it to, uh, you know, I think Keith, it's just kind of, and I hate to say it, but kind of a feeling out process. Uh, and like, you well, said, that's kind of my, that's kind of my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, but we we all kind of joked about it all throughout the off season of of how much better it would be to flip these first two games, right, and say start with Sanford and then go to Virginia Tech in week two, and then we we could sort of chuckle at it, and, and it's not an excuse, but yeah, man, that would have been a lot better. Because a first quarter, you know, a, a rough first quarter or even a rough first half against Sanford doesn't necessarily doom you to a three touchdown loss. But against a team like Virginia Tech that has talent and a good coaching staff that, oh by the way, has been together for a while now, uh, that can be all you need. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of unfortunate uh, in that regard. And and you know, it wouldn't surprise me necessarily to see uh, them start a little bit more slowly against Sanford. But you'd like to think that you know, getting more repetitions and getting more work at it in a game like that. Where you probably have you know a, a significant advantage in terms of both depth and talent, you can start to kind of build that cohesion and build that rhythm. I think that was a big thing. You know, the, this offense is based, I think, so much on uh, on rhythm and building one play to the next, and they could just never do it. Uh, even the the big plays that they did break, it, it almost felt like they were random rather than the than the result of building toward them. You know, any uh, at least announced personnel changes or different philosophies on who gets the ball or things of that nature. No, I don't. I don't. You know, the, the one thing uh, was that Walt Bell was asked about Caleb LeBourne. I think we were all kind of wondering about him. He had, you know, one of the most impressive plays of the day, maybe the most impressive play in terms of uh, talent and ability, as far as making that cut back to his uh, his right and and going on that that long run off off the, the catch. I think they they plan to get him the ball some more. But other than that, I, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't think they looked at what happened on Monday night and said that this is a, a you know complete referendum on you know, the depth chart or the offensive philosophy or anything like that. It's just a matter of you know, continuing to build and, and get better at it. Um, and so, you know, maybe if, if you get five, six games in the season, you're still having the same type of issues. Uh, maybe you look at some personnel changes. But uh, but as of right now, I think they, they think they just got to keep building with what they got. So, Tim, what are the positives we can take away from the other night? I thought the defense looked pretty good and in spurts, right? The the first drive obviously was rough. The second drive was uh, was a little bit better. But then after that, I thought they locked in pretty good. Um, you know, like after they they scored that touchdown, I think Virginia Tech's next nine drives uh, resulted in three points, and uh, I think they averaged something like two point eight yards per play. I mean, actually, the defense performed pretty well. And don't forget that they were uh, they were in some pretty difficult situations. Uh, there were three drives in the third quarter that started within FSU territory, which, oh, by the way, I think is a is a kind of an underrated aspect of, of that game going against them then the entire third quarter was played on FSU's side of the field and, uh, and the fact that the defense was able to play well in some difficult position, difficult situations and, and being on the field a bunch at that point in that quarter uh, also mind you and keep Florida State in the game I thought was a you know a pretty good thing I mean you, you realize it doesn't necessarily feel like it now and in, in truth it probably didn't feel like it at the time uh, but it was a two-score game early in the fourth quarter and you know Florida State's offense has the ball on Virginia Tech's six-yard line uh, I mean they were in that game late uh, it just uh, you know, obviously didn't work out, but yeah. So, so all that to wrap up, I thought that the uh, the defense to me was pretty encouraging. 
Hey, let me bring up this subject. Keith's not going to – Keith doesn't want to join the conspiracy train, but I'm sure Tagger was asked about Virginia Tech faking injuries, which, by the way, is permissible. I mean, there's not any – I don't know how you would legislate against it, but uh, did he have any comment on that, or is your – are you of uh, the opinion did. that he, they were faking he, injuries? He, he was asked about it both in the uh, in the, the media scrum this morning and also on the teleconference. And, you know, he was, he was probably a little bit candid. Uh, you know, he, he was asked basically, you know, does he think that there's, you know, something to that? And his response on the teleconference was, well, it happens a little too often for me to, to not think something of it, something like that, essentially. You know, he, he's acknowledged that, that uh, you know, I think he feels that, uh, how should we say, at best there's some gamesmanship going on. But also in his next breath, he said, look, I mean, that's, that's part of it. You know, there's, it's permissible in the rules, um, and it's a sort of uh, it's a sort of is what it is. And it's something that I think, you know, Florida State's going to have to learn to fight to, uh, through. And I also think um, – that it'll be mitigated somewhat uh, once the offense does a better job of getting into rhythm. You know, if you're busting off, if you're moving ball consistently and you're busting off, you know, five, six, seven yards at a time and then breaking a big play here and there, uh, it, it's one thing, you know, to, to have somebody go down, you know, once a quarter or once a half or what have you. Um, but it's another thing to have it happen once a drive. I think at that point it gets a little bit uh, – you know, he gets a little dice here or there, but Florida State didn't really put uh, Virginia Tech in that position. You know, their their big plays and, and their splash plays were so sporadic that uh, that it kind of made it easy. And then also, when you could see sort of how flummoxed it made everything once it did happen uh, between the boos, which I understand that's frustrating, and the TV timeouts. Uh, I mean, it it worked perfectly for Virginia Tech, and so I think you, you get to the point where one, if you're moving the ball a little more consistently, you make it harder for guys to do that. Uh, and then also, if you can show that it's not as effective uh, against, you know, in, in terms of, of stalling your offense the way that it did, maybe that'll help as well. But look, I mean, this is something, and I'm sure Willie Taggart's used to it. He's been running this offense for a while, but, but Florida State fans need to get used to it because, I mean, this is going to happen every single week. I guarantee it. Tim, I, you know, I got to credit Matthew, our producer here, because he single handedly pointed out the reason why FSU Florida St- uh, FSU lost, and it's because we did oh, I not. Wish you told me before the game. We, we did not interrogate you with our usual rapid fire questions. I mean, oh, that, that's no. what the issue is. So now, without preparation, and Tim never sees a script. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. Little known fact that FSU did win something the other night. They won the coin toss. So will they win the coin toss this week against Sanford? Yes or no? Never bet against the streak. You got it. Touchdowns this week for Florida State. Now, this will sound high, but I'm going over under five and a half. Over. First touchdown will be scored by a running back, wide receiver, or other. Running back. Punt return yards. Bear in mind where we were. Over, under, one half yard. (laughs) Over. (laughs) Crowd, over, under 70,000. I was prepared to say under, too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Over, under 70,000 for the crowd. For FSU, will there be a 100-yard rusher? Yes. Will there be two 100-yard rushers? No. Will there be a 100-yard receiver? Yes. Most importantly, will FSU win? All right, I think we started you off pretty easy. Uh, warming there, this, you up there, I appreciate that. Yeah, we're, we're warming you up. We're letting you ease into it. You, you know, the whole key to succeeding is you got to start well at the beginning of the semester, Tim. So if you post an A or a high B up there, you'll be all right the rest of the year. Thank you as always, sir. You got it, guys. We'll see you. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Over under a half yard on punt returns. That was hilarious. Although when we were talking But you realize they were under last week. I understand. (laughs) But as we were talking during the break going into this segment, uh, our our wonderful Matthew, when we talked about the score or number of touchdowns score, he says over or under a half. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk something besides football when we come back. Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremonies at FSU coming up this weekend. And, and uh, two, two great ones on a sport that doesn't get enough attention. And we'll uh, share that story with you with somebody who is uh, in the know when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
Back on Front Row Knowles, we will move past the football conversation, at least for the time being, because in conjunction with the football festivities this week, Florida State Athletics Hall of Fame is uh, inducting several new members, including on the uh, list Buster Posey, among others, uh, including a couple of former track stars. And we're going we're gonna to talk about them right now as we file it, fire up the uh, Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to former longtime track and field coach at FSU, Terry Long, and he's still a volunteer assistant this day, uh, these days with Coach Brayman. Coach, how are you? I'm doing very well, Tom. Glad to speak with you. Yeah, and we appreciate you, uh, you coming on. How many years is this now, by the way? I mean, you pretty much, you just live under the bleachers there at the track, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I've got an old cobalt pit that uh, I just pull out and, and uh, I hide under there from day to day and then come out and meet with the guys. <laughs> well you know i mentioned the two of the inductees this this weekend uh into the florida state athletics hall of fame are former florida state track stars uh Teresa bundy and walter Dix. and you had an opportunity to coach both of them i, w- I want to start with walt uh and i realized that, that you know track and field can be a niche sport the the, the general sports fan or, or general individual may not follow it save for olympics but give us some context to how good an athlete Walter Dix truly was and where he is sort of uh, on the list of garnet and gold greats? Well, uh, he's uh, he's certainly near, if not at the top, um, in the sport of track and field. Walt is um, generally considered to be probably the most um, dominant sprinter, NCAA-level sprinter, in the history of the sport, and um, he was a he was a very very special athlete from the time that he came into Florida State until the time that he graduated. Uh, um, he um, he was very unique. Uh, he's one of those generational type athletes that that uh, we're we're very fortunate to have interacted with, and uh, he was he's he's very special. Terry, you mentioned that he was successful from the get-go, which means as a high school and a junior athlete, he was well-known. Talk about his recruiting process. How did you get in on him? How did you convince him to come to FSU? Well, uh, Walt was – that was a very, very uh, interesting – he was being recruited by, of course, everybody in the country, and he was very noncommittal and and, uh, quite honestly – um, it was uh, Ken Harnden who uh, was had the lead role on recruiting Walt, and and uh, they got down to the the signing time and hadn't had a commitment. He hadn't signed anywhere, and Ken just came and he said, "Let's just send the guy a scholarship." And they sent him out. Uh, he and Coach Brayman uh, put together a scholarship, sent it down to him. And lo and behold, a couple of days later, the science scholarship came back in the mail, and and Walt became a Seminole. So it was it was hard, vigorous recruiting that came down to uh, a very interesting uh, uh, signing of uh, of a very special athlete like Walt. I, we, we'll talk about Teresa in a moment, but uh, but along these All lines, right. when Walt was here, uh, Florida State was winning national championships in in, in track and field. And my, my, my sense is that the program is, and you tell me if this is fair or not, but you're, you're maybe as close to being back to that level now as you have been since then, because it's my understanding you've got a pretty good uh, roster as, as we look, look ahead to track and field season. That's, that's uh, absolutely true. Uh, when, uh, when you get an athlete like Walt, Walt was the guy that when you went to the national meet, you almost had 20 points in your back pocket, uh, before the meet started. And, uh, nowadays we're, we've got a very, we've got, we've got some excellent, excellent athletes at Florida state. And I think, uh, uh, I think the track and field program is, is approaching where it was back in, uh, in those heydays when we won, uh, three straight national championships with Walt. Terry, do you ever think we'll get back to a guy that can run the the 60 successfully and the 200 with all the specialization we have now? Because Walt was fantastic at both, and they're two very different races. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, 
Walt could and Walt could run 400 meters too. When uh, when he was at FSU, he he would run on the four by four relay. Mostly, he would run on the relay uh, in uh, the indoor season. He would do it for for special conditioning and strength and endurance. But uh, Walt uh, Walt had he had quite a range. He he actually was absolutely best probably at 200 meters. But uh, he was extremely competitive at, at 60 and 100 also. We're talking with uh, former FSU track and field coach Terry Long as Florida State inducts some seminal greats in the Athletics Hall of Fame this weekend. Uh, if, you're, if you're not aware, by the way, Terry is the son of uh, former Hall of Fame FSU coach Mike Long, whose name is is on the track at, at Florida State. Let's shift gears and on the women's side mm-hmm. and enlighten us a little bit about Teresa Bundy, who's also uh, being inducted and honored this weekend. Well, Teresa was... Uh, we recruited Teresa um, as a sprinter, and she was immediately successful. Um, as uh, and entered it was was ranked in our in our top uh, uh, ten hundred and two hundred meter people. Uh, she had a few injury issues. Uh, there's a very interesting story about how Teresa became a triple jumper. Um, she was an outstanding sprinter. She ran on a relay teams, and uh, every fall we put the entire team together and we took them through a, a series of of uh, different bounding and plyometric exercises and various things. And Teresa was just outstanding at doing that. Um, so I, I asked her to come over after her sophomore year and and uh, came over at noon. We went out on the field. We tried to. Uh, little triple jump routines and um, made the decision at the, late in the fall that we were going to switch her over predominantly to becoming a triple jumper. And, of course, she went on and became a national champion. So um, sometimes it's not what you come here as, it's what you end up being. And that was, uh, that was Teresa. Side note, uh, you know, talking about somebody that's having high levels of success, uh, there's a there's a steeplechaser out there that I know you're still connected with, and, and Colleen Quigley, who was in the Olympics last time around, and probably shaping up to be back there again in a couple years. Uh, is she the best seminal hopeful out there in terms of uh, chasing down a Olympic medal? Well, I think um, I think certainly yes, I would say so. Uh, uh, matter of fact, I just watched her run the Berlin um, Invitational Meet, which she won, uh, and set a new personal mark of uh, 9 minutes and 10 seconds, which puts her into the super elite uh, category of of, uh, women steeplechasers all over the world. Now, Terry, we'd be remiss, and you can roll your eyes at me when I ask you about this, but because we're in the middle of football, beginning of football season, we we got to ask you, what's your favorite Dion story? We've heard all about him playing baseball and then running track and helicoptering in from football to a baseball at the other level, but uh, he he was a performer on the track team. Uh, what, what's your interesting Dion track story? Well, uh, you know, Dion, he did almost every sport in high school, except track and field. And uh, when uh, when he came out for track, he was pretty raw. And he showed tremendous uh, work ethic. Uh, and we went to the Metro Conference meet in Columbia, South Carolina. Baseball was playing. Dion was on the baseball team. And he was also running some track. So between innings, we had uh, – we cleared it with Coach Martin. He was in favor of it. So we had Dion. The, the two stadiums were side-by-side, uh, track and, and baseball in, in, at South Carolina. Dion ran over from the baseball game. We got in a big circle. He changed out of his baseball uniform into his track uniform, and we ran the four-by-one relay, which, uh, which he was a key member of, and we won. And it was probably one of the more – unique settings that uh and situations that i can uh, i can ever recall in athletics you said he was raw in track and field he was like a four eight or four nine forty guy right until you got a hold of him is that the way the story goes well i, I tell you the truth uh dion worked specifically with coach dick roberts and um they would work one-on-one there early in the afternoon and uh, then dion would go over to football 
But yes, he was very wrong. Um, he was uh, he he didn't know blocks. He didn't know starting and techniques, sprint techniques. But he was a quick study. And uh, by the time he was through here, Dion had qualified for not only the NCA meet, but he had also qualified for the United States Olympic trial. So, um, and you can see when he uh, went into pro football and was a punt returner, when he turned it on, he could flat run. He was, he was very, very good. Well, so were you, and you continue to be, Terry. We appreciate your, your longtime commitment, devotion, passion uh, for Florida State, and thanks for spending a few minutes to enlighten our listeners uh, about uh, two former tracksters that are being inducted into the Hall of Fame later this week. Thank you very much, Tom. That is uh, Terry Long, and that, that is some good perspective. We'll tell you about the other Hall of Famers when, when we continue on Front Row Knowles after this. Sun beat down I had the radio walk I was driving Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. We are back. Just a few minutes to go. And thank you to Terry Long for uh, for joining us and also our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. We will get back to football here in a moment i do want to tip our uh, tip my cap anyway i guess i can't tip our collective caps but you can weigh i'll in. tip with you there we go to the rest of the hall of fame class and you know we commented during the break florida state's been so good in a lot of sports for a long time that it, it's it's doggone competitive to get here i mean this it's class a, it's a strong class buster posey is going in on friday night congratulations obviously he just had surgery wish him the the best odell Hagens. The only undefeated football coach in Florida State history. Congratulations to Odell. Jim Gladden, longtime assistant with Bobby Bowden. Brought, brought me to Tallahassee. Al Thornton, a guy who uh, was a – man, he was fun to watch play basketball. Probably made what the greatest athlete. improvement from freshman to senior year of any athlete and maybe in any sport at Florida State. Mammy Yamaguchi from the soccer field. And, uh, you know, that soccer team has so many international stars. She was uh, sort of at the front line of that. Uh, Veronica Woodson on the softball team. Woodson um, – so congratulations. Also, Bob Perone, who put together the uh, the website, org. If you've never been to org, it is every piece of sports information that ever happened in the history of Florida State Athletics. It literally is. And, and uh, kudos to Bob, who gets the More Stone Award uh, for all his efforts on that. Strong class. Very strong class. It, it is. If you ever just want to kill, like, say, six months... Just open up a bottle of wine and go to fan.org and just just start reading everything that's on there. Um, All right, Keith, a few more minutes to go. Anything else you want to add on the football front? Well, you got to make a turnaround. So we can can cry on our cereal and uh, we can feel bad and we can regret. Um, But we got to pick ourselves up, grab the bootstraps, whatever analogy you want. Uh, I'll be interested to see how the kids respond for the reasons we've talked about. They faced adversity before, but they've not always overcome it. You know, last year they lost uh, after losing to Alabama. They lost four or six, or whatever, whatever it was. Uh, so they they had adversity. Adversity didn't respond to it well, and it continued until the very end of the year. Um, and and I'm interested also, and in, in, in I don't mean this as a criticism, but as a natural progression, how well the staff, for whatever degree, the fact that it was a new group of guys together, particularly on the offensive side. How the staff matures, grows, uh, doesn't run down the rat hole or whatever the phrase should be, and how well they get those signals in, how well the kids take them, and how well this offense responds, uh, getting back to what we believe the Gulf Coast offense is meant to do. I do think, go back to what we talked about in the first segment, I do think that if you've gone through spring practice and fall camp and everybody checks the box, for lack of a better term, that you really don't know how they're going to respond until you get in that situation. And so I, I think they were surprised at the way that some of those responses were, and I'm sure that they went back in a short week. And, uh, you know, now they're more aware of that. And you can say that they should have anticipated that, but I don't know that you can anticipate who's going to run the wrong route, who's going to fail to block, if they've been doing it all along during fall camp. And, and though our listeners get so tired of hearing me say, there's certain lessons that you can learn. And then there's other lessons you have to experience because it doesn't matter how much a parent, a teacher, 
a favorite uncle, a coach, a segment coach or head coach tells you. Don't do that. Don't, don't do, do that. that. Don't do that. Until, until you it burn happens. Your, until you burn your hand on the stove. Until it happens, yeah. it doesn't register. And, and the good news, hopefully, coming out of that is those lessons are easily learned. If you're not fast enough, it's going to take you a while to get faster. If you're not strong enough, it's going to take some time in the weight room uh, for you to get stronger. If you're not big enough, you, you know, you can't eat everything in one day. But if you have to change something mentally, you can make that adjustment relatively quickly, and hopefully that'll be the case. Thank you to uh, the fine folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for being big supporters of the program. I appreciate Ron and his knowledgeable staff uh, for their longtime support. A couple of locations to choose from uh, around town, including on uh, Stuckey Avenue. encourage you to uh, go out and uh, visit them and tell them that you listen to our show and appreciate their support. On the way out, Keith, um, special teams weren't great, obviously. Missed field goal, block punt. But from the return standpoint, and this may be a case, uh, this is the basic question. And it probably won't matter against Sanford. But given the way things unfolded the other night, does Florida State need to take a chance and, and not call a fair catch or not take a knee in the end zone and just gamble and run one out? Or is that trying to make a play when there's not one there? Uh, it's a fine line. Uh, that's a very safe statement on my part. But, but you asked two questions there. Number one, you always put your heels on the 10-yard line. And don't back up. And don't back up. Now, the kicker for Tech was using that 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 – it wasn't the Australian run to the side and kick it off the inside rugby of your foot. style, yeah. But he was kicking it where the ball mimic mimics how a kickoff is, where it's tumbling backwards. Well, make him execute that click a couple of times. You know, go in first punt, second punt, third punt. Put him on the ten yard. Make him execute that punt. Once you know he can do it, then back up to the six or the five and make the fair catch. In other words, let a couple of those go, and maybe they go in the end zone. You get some field position. On the other side, a very tough call. You you are expecting your punt returner, I know I did it, to make good judgments about whether to fair catch or whether to catch because you can get blown up quickly. There's no halo rule anymore. And uh, every time DJ went for the fair catch, and I'm up in the booth, I can see it, I know what he's looking for, and I know why he did it. But at some point in time, maybe you just whisper in his ear, look, if it's medium, if it's not clear cut, let's don't fair catch this one, let's give it a shot. That way he knows going in, he's been told he's to do something. He's got some leeway. He's been told to do something, and it's not all on him. And maybe once or twice you just take that that chance. Uh, you know, the defense forced Virginia Tech into nine punts. They punted nine times. You look at a, at a game plan and say you force nine punts, that's a game you got a good shot to win. Um, the block punt, by the way, was impermissible. I mean, the, the 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 guy got through the line and went right between the two personal protectors. You that can't happen. That physically can't happen, and uh, that needs to get corrected immediately. Keith, you feel better? I'm a little bit. All I'm right. a little bit. We are, let's see. Today's Wednesday. We got Thursday and Friday, and it's seven twenty. We'll do it Saturday. Exactly. You'll be yeah, all right by then. I'll be, I'll be okay. At your age, it's always a struggle. I understand. Thank you very much. We'll be back next Wednesday at 6 with a regular show. Don't forget, Front Row Knowles' first look airs Sunday at 8 a.m. Folks, we'll see you at Doke this weekend. Have a great week.